Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. Um, I, I, I don't know if you like walking, but um, me and Darren really like walking. Uh, it's one thing that we enjoy doing. And uh, it's good to have a, when you're walking, it's good to have a good coffee shop at the end, isn't it, with that essential coffee and piece of cake. It's always important. Um, but yeah, we, we, we have familiar walks. We've just been up this week, uh, went up to the summit of Dodds Wood in the snow. Uh, we've been up before, um, but uh, it was different this time. It's familiar to us, but it was different because it was snowing, and it was it was quite amazing. And so, what what I want us to kind of do together this morning is almost to go on a walk. Uh, to go on a not physically, obviously, <laughs> but to imagine that we are walking with Jesus, that we're going to follow Jesus um, on his walk. And all four of the Gospels give a disproportionate amount of time about the last weeks of Jesus' earthly life as he traveled to Jerusalem to spend his final Passover in the city. And um, We know the cross and the empty tomb declare that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He triumphed over sin, death, hell, and the devil. And his story on earth ends, um, and we realize that this is the key to our beginning. So where his earthly story ends is our our beginning. And I want to talk about um, the walk that Jesus did to Jerusalem in his final days. He told his disciples that he was going to walk to Jerusalem. The walk that he did was familiar to Jesus. Jesus had taken this route lots of times as he was growing up from Nazareth to Jerusalem with his family to the Passover. It was about 100 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem, five days walking. And um, he would be familiar with this. And part of it is called the pilgrim route that Jesus took, the pilgrim route into Jerusalem. And um, he would be familiar with this. But this was the last time that he was going to walk on earth, on this route. This was his last journey on a familiar route to Jesus that he had taken throughout his, his, his life. And John tells us there are about three different Passovers during Jesus' earthly life. Um, so Jesus would make his journey through the Jezreel Valley and connect with the pilgrim route that ran through the Jordan Valley on the west bank of the river. Uh, it was um, the best route, r- uh, avoiding Samaria, which was, um, for some for Jews, that would be a bit of a hostile territory. Then you would arrive in Jericho, and then you would turn westward and take the Jericho to Jerusalem Road, 
that runs along the southern ridge of the Wadi Kelt, leading into Bethany. Bethany is a village outside Jerusalem, about 1.7 miles outside of Jerusalem. And then the final journey is from Bethany over the Mount of Olives into and up into Jerusalem. So John tells us that through Jesus' public ministry, he made at least four trips in those three years along that route from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem through that familiar route. Uh, he, he, he went to two uh, Passovers. He went to the Feast of Dedication um, and uh, a third Passover. And each time he went into Jerusalem, Jesus would go to the temple each time and he would teach in the temple in Jerusalem. And um, so I want us to imagine that we are joining Jesus on this walk, okay, uh, at the point where he's coming into Jericho. So he's come along the Jezreel Valley and he's approaching Jericho. And remember, this is the last walk on a familiar journey that Jesus is taking. So let's watch to see what does Jesus want to highlight on his final walk into Jerusalem. What is he saying to us and what is he, what is he showing to us? And um, in, in Luke 18, it, it starts the, the, the passage about Jericho. He took the 12 aside and told them, we are going to Jerusalem. Everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Uh, The disciples didn't understand this. And then it says, as Jesus approached Jericho. So he's on this journey, walking to Jericho. And we are are joining him with the disciples walking into. And this uh, t- town was where the Joshua went, wasn't it, in the Old Testament? The walls of Jericho came down, and Rahab the prostitute was saved. We remember Jericho in the Old Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe Jesus coming into Jericho. And so, as we, as we walk with him into Jericho, the first thing that is highlighted as we approach with him is there is some beggars. And these, beg- these beggars, one is blind Bartimaeus, and he is shouting in the, the crowd as we're walking in with Jesus. He's asking the crowd, who is this? And the crowd say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus from the place of rejection, even though Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth, he was born in Bethlehem. And this blind beggar shouts out, Jesus, son of David, different lineage, royal king, have mercy on me, an outcast, a beggar, having nothing. And Jesus, we're with him going into Jerusalem, stops. And this is highlighted. Bartimaeus is highlighted to him. And we see the outrageous grace 
of God at work as Bartimaeus is brought to Jesus and he stops on this final journey to the cross and he heals him and he can see. And it's a picture of the king, the little pictures of who Jesus is, son of David. And we carry on into Jerusalem and the whole town is stirred because Jesus is coming into the into Jericho, sorry. And the expectation is, because hospitality is such a big thing in that culture, that the city uh, authorities, the, the Pharisees, would have prepared a banquet for Jesus as he's coming in. And the expectation of this town would be that Jesus would go and be at this banquet And we're with Jesus, and he's not, this is his final journey through Jericho. And he's not going where they expect him to go. He's walking through Jericho. And there's a a tax collector who is really, really wealthy. He's got lots of money. Um, He's called Zacchaeus, but he's an outcast because he's a tax collector. And he dishonors himself because he climbs a tree. That's a dishonoring thing to do in that culture. He climbs a tree to get to Jesus. And we're walking with Jesus. We're coming out through Jericho. And Jesus stops under this tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house today. And... um, This is a a radical act of grace on Jesus' part. He follows the same principles that he's followed through all his ministry. The person of peace. He looks for the person of peace. And he offers his peace to Zacchaeus. And he, regardless of who he is, regardless of his reputation, regardless of his social standing... It's a radical act of grace on Jesus' part in the city of Jericho. And the city notice this. This stands out uh, a mile. And they say to him, why are you going to eat with a sinner? Uh, And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. So the last walk of Jesus on a familiar route into Jerusalem, he is highlighting what is important to him for in his kingdom. And what is important is the outcast, a beggar who has nothing, a tax collector who has lots of money, very wealthy, opposite ends of the economic extreme, but both outcasts in this city. And Jesus brings them in to his kingdom. He saves them. Outrageous grace. Getting over the mountains, (laughs) looking for you. We're walking with Jesus on his last walk. And so we, we come through Jericho, And out of Jericho, it's 15 miles 
to Jerusalem. And we're going to climb because it's an ascent into Jerusalem. And it's, it's called um, the Pass of Adumim. And it means a red pass because as we walk through, the walls are red with limestone. And it's like a gorge. And we're climbing. And it's a hard walk up this part towards Bethany. And we may remember as we're walking with Jesus the story of the Good Samaritan because this is a dangerous part of the road which could have been set by Jesus as we're walking up this, up this ascent. And it also could be um, a picture for us of, of his journey to the cross because the, the limestone is red. In hindsight, we we look at that and we, we would see that as a picture that Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. And um, he comes to Bethany. And so we're, we're with him now in Bethany. Bethany is that village that is outside of Jerusalem. And this is a second home for Jesus. It's an oikos. So here, Jesus would stay with Mary, with Martha, and with Lazarus. Just like in Capernaum in Galilee, it was Peter's oikos that he based out of here in Jerusalem. He would base himself with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And we arrive, we arrive with Jesus on the Saturday of that week, most likely, to a banquet that's been prepared in Bethany on his final journey towards Jerusalem. And that banquet is in Simon the leper's house, most likely one of the lepers that Jesus healed in his ministry. And so we go with Jesus to the banquet in this oikos that's been prepared at Simon the leper's house in Bethany, the village outside of Jerusalem. And Mary is there with the perfume. And she takes the perfume and she breaks the, you know, the stereotypes and she pours all of this perfume on Jesus. And it's a picture, isn't it? It was a little hint of a picture of David being extravagant with worship when he's entering into Jerusalem and dancing before the Lord. And Michael, his wife, despises him. Mary is extravagant with her worship of, of Jesus. And Judas despises her um, for, for doing this. But it's a picture of extravagant worship. And it, 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 it brings us a challenge for our worship. How extravagant are we? How do we break through? How do we express our worship for Jesus? And it was customary at a special banquet for each guest to receive a drop of scented oil on their head as a sign of blessing. And it gave a sweet aroma in the room. But Mary went much further than that. She poured all of it on Jesus and prepared him for, he says, for his burial. And it's a challenge to us. What are we willing to offer 
What are you and I willing to offer Jesus? And so we're in Bethany. We're in this oikos. We're at this banquet. And then it would be most likely the Sunday that Jesus would walk into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. And he would make the journey from Bethany, the village. We'd walk with him over the Mount of Olives, down and then up into into Jerusalem. And we're told that there's six days now. There's six full days before the Passover of time for, for Jesus, before the Passover. And we're going to journey with Jesus into these six days. And we're going to see a little bit of what's important to, to him through, through these six days. So we, we, we're going with Jesus uh, over the Mount of Olives. And he chooses to make a deliberate, symbolic entrance into Jerusalem. And the prophet Zechariah says of this moment that on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And then Zechariah goes on to say, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah prophesies that this moment that Jesus is walking through into Jerusalem and he is proclaiming who he is. It was a carefully planned entrance that Jesus was making. There were times, wasn't there, when Jesus said, don't tell anybody who I am. This is not that moment. This is where Jesus is declaring who he is. And we are on this final pilgrim route. He makes a clear statement that he is the long-awaited Messiah. It's This is who he is. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He is declaring prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, anticipated by the Jewish people. And this question of who he was had swirled around him since his baptism. And now he was making it crystal clear that he is who he says he is. He he is declaring what Simon Peter had recognized in Caesarea Philippi. That he was coming as the true king to save them. And he rode over the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem on a colt. And he revealed himself as saviour. That's what he was saying. Saviour. Saviour king. I am revealing myself to you as saviour king. 
And they understood this. The crowd had come out of Jerusalem to meet him. They heard he was coming. They'd come out of Jerusalem to meet him. They understood the symbolicness of what he was saying. And so they replied, save us, save us, Hosanna, save us, Jesus. That's what they were saying. And they were singing the messianic psalm of 118, where it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, were, they gave Jesus a royal welcome. They put their cloaks down on the road. It was traditional for them to wave palm branches uh, in celebration as they entered. Other kings would enter into Jerusalem. Years before, Judas Maccabeus had entered on a war horse into Jerusalem. And they'd uh, had a, a celebration and as a conquering warrior. But Jesus was not declaring that Jesus was entering Jerusalem on a young, unridden donkey, declaring that he's the prince of peace who would lay down his life to save his people. And he was speaking to, we're on this journey with him, declaring to the crowds who he was. He told his disciples, as, as we read earlier, that he was going to Jerusalem, that he was going to be delivered to the chief priests, the scribes, condemned to death. The crowds were hoping for a king, one who would free them from the Romans, uh, one who would sort out the corruption of Herod, terrorism of the zealots, the greed of the Sadducees, and the religious domineering Pharisees. They waved their branches and they projected onto Jesus the kind of king, the kind of Messiah that they wanted. But he was a gentle king, riding on a donkey. He was a tecton, a builder, the rock on which we can build. And they sang, they would have sung that in the song, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The song of ascent, Psalm 118, as they were singing that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They would be familiar with that. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he says that he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. What a significant moment in history. The crowds shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, deliver us. They thought they needed saving from oppression political oppression, but Jesus knew that it was the power of sin and the works of the enemy, the devil, that he was going to set people free from, much bigger than what they were thinking. And it's at this point that the religious and the political authorities 
were threatened. Uh, They were very careful. Jesus was very careful about his timing of coming into Jerusalem. Um, and, And they were moved to action. He knew that they were moving to arrest him uh, at this point. They were colluding to get rid of him. And it tells us that in Luke 19, 47 to 48, it was only the crowds that kept them at bay from arresting Jesus, his popularity with the crowds. And Jesus then went back to Bethany. So we're still with him. He's declared himself saviour, king, saviour, king. And I wonder today if you need to say save, save me, Hosanna, save me, respond to to him in, in that way. Jesus went back to Bethany, we're told, and then for six days... He would make the journey over the Mount of Olives and back up into Jerusalem and teach in the temple for six days before he was arrested. That's quite a long time. And he would maybe stay over on the Mount of Olives sometimes, or he would go back to Bethany and stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so we're we're on this journey with him. Um, he goes into the temple. Isn't it significant, man? You see the timing of God in this. The temple was not going to exist in 70 years. And, And God the Father sent the Son before the temple was destroyed to give us this picture that Jesus is the savior of the world The timing in history is just incredible. Jesus and the temple. One of the first things, we're going back. We've we've been on the triumphal entry. We're coming back into Jerusalem. And we're going to the temple with Jesus. He goes into the temple. And he turns over the tables in the temple. Um, And... He is demonstrating who he is as the king. He has authority in this place, in the temple, because he is the king. And in the history of the Hebrew people, it's always been the king or the aspiring king that has authority in the temple. So King David planned it. King Solomon built it. Kings like Hezekiah, Josiah, um, someone who wasn't in Bible times called Judah the Hammer, who was not a wrestler. (laughs) Um, Kings like Zerubbabel, Herod rebuilt the temple. In each case, the planning, building, cleansing was led by a king and linked to triumph over enemies in the temple. And along comes the king of kings, Jesus, to take authority in the temple. And he is going to redefine 
the temple. It's not going to exist in 70 years. But he is there and he is redefining the temple. It had fallen into the wrong hands. The Sadducees had control. There was a banking system. Um, and so Jesus was turning over this place of commerce, a place that instead of a sacrificial system that reminded you that your debts were forgiven, it was where a place where debts were held and kept. And as we're walking into the temple, we would see all of the restrictions. Gentiles not allowed here. Women only over in this place. Male Jews, you can only go to this point. Uh, the priest, you can only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And as Jesus is entering into the temple, all of these restrictions are there. And wouldn't it, as the king of kings, taking the authority in the temple, take us back to the heart of the global mission of God in the temple. In creation, when God created the world, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. There's not much restriction in terms of the nations of God. And then there's Abraham, isn't there, through you? All nations on earth will be blessed. What about the pagan prophet Balaam, who prophesied about Jesus? What about Jonah, cross-cultural mission to the Assyrian city of Nineveh? What about when in Solomon, when Jesus is in the temple and he hears, he remembers Solomon where it says that foreigners, let, let God, will you hear foreigners in this place? Will you hear the prayer of foreigners in this place? And Jesus turns over the tables and says, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. The mission of God, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and make disciples the great commission which he leaves us with in a few chapters further on the global mission of God the Magi when they said we saw his star and we came to worship him through a prophecy in Daniel right from the creation we see the mandate of God so that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then we see Jesus in the temple. Man, if you were with him as a disciple, you'd want to say to him, Jesus, just tone it down. Just, just bring it in. You, you, you're going to be arrested if we were stood with his disciples, would be so concerned, wouldn't we? But he doesn't tone it down. This, these six days in the temple, he does not tone his message down. He, ramp, he ramps it up for these six days in the temple. Matthew 23, 
Woe to you, Pharisees, you brood of vipers, you hypocrites. You, you don't clean the inside of the cup. You're all about the externals. Right in the temple, before the Passover. And then we're stood with him as he's telling the parable of the tenants. So he tells the parable of the tenants to the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees. He said there's a, Lando, a landowner and he, he rented out his, his vineyard and, and they, he, he, then he sent his servants to get a harvest from his vineyard and, and those landowners, they took those servants and they beat them and they threw them out and then, then they sent the son and they said, this is the heir, we will kill him and we will throw him out. This is in the temple before he's arrested in front of the authorities. Jesus is declaring and, and then he gets to the point when he's teaching in the temple in that parable and he says this. He looked directly at them and he said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone looking straight at the Pharisees. He knew in himself it was him. He was the stone. He was laying it down to be the foundation of the new house of God. You, me, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says a few, few chapters on, doesn't he? I'll send you the advocate. We are the temple, the new temple. And he could, he could see all of this. Ramping it up. Ramping it up in the days before he was arrested. It reminds us as well of Psalm 118, which is where that quote comes from. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Anyone who falls on it will be broken to pieces. Anyone it falls on will be crushed. And that is what he says. A lot of us, you know, as we've taken this journey with Jesus, I don't know about you, but I would find it hard to stand out like that. But Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will. And on this journey that we've taken with Jesus, this walking route, that is what sets Jesus apart. That's what we've observed. And that's what we have seen. You and I, we've got familiar roots in our lives. We've got workplaces. We've got families. 
things that we go into that we are familiar with every day of our lives. What does your familiar route look like to surrender to the things that God is asking you to do? Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem and entered Jericho. We've journeyed with him. There was a blind beggar who refused to be quiet. An ordinary person would have probably ignored him. Jesus stopped and did his father's will. He saw the most hated man in Jericho, Zacchaeus, humbling himself and honored him by going to his house. He was not driven by the same things that can drive us at times. He could have kept a low profile and avoided detection, but Jesus did the opposite. He attended a banquet in Bethany, rode a donkey over the Mount of Olives, knocked over the tables in the temple, fearlessly confronted the oppression and the hypocrisy. The more they threatened him, the stronger his resolve became. He was led by a different drum. Robert Frost has said, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that made all the difference. Jesus took the road less traveled because he was not following his own will. He was following the will of his father. I was reading about Watchman, Watchman Nee um, recently who decided to go back into China. He'd planted about 400 churches and he decided to go back into China and his friend warned him about going back into China um, and said that it, it wouldn't be a good thing for him to do because of what might happen to him. But he replied that if a mother discovered her house was on fire while she was outside doing the laundry, she would rush back to take care of her children, no matter the danger to herself. Within two years, Watchman Nee had been arrested and uh, he was in prison. And he was there for 20 years. And the final letter was found under his pillow. And it was this. Christ is the Son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Watchman Nee. Amazing. Amazing testimony. Amazing testimony. You know, Jesus is the saviour of the world and we have walked with him this morning and ever since Adam and Eve chose their own will over God's will our world is broken things are happening that are not God's will and we suffer the consequences of this chaotic world but we have an opportunity to take up our cross and follow Jesus and that's the hard truth for us isn't it 
that we let go of our own will and we yield to the will of our Father on the familiar roots that we have in our lives. He calls us to do that. And I just want to give you that opportunity where you need to respond to the lover of your soul this morning. Maybe it's Saviour, save me, Hosanna. Maybe it's your workplace, a familiar route, but there's the outcast, there's the Zacchaeuses, there's the Bartimaeuses around you. Maybe it's the temple of the Holy Spirit, the global mission, the Great Commission. There's so much, isn't there? There's so much. that Jesus calls us to and I've gone on for a long time (laughs) passionate about talking about Jesus and so I just want to let's just pray together this morning I want to give an opportunity if you don't know Jesus and you want to say this morning save me then as I'm looking around, just give you the opportunity just to do that. I think everyone here knows Jesus, but I just want to give you that opportunity on this morning of all mornings, if you need to respond, to say, save me, Jesus. If that's you, then just indicate to me, and I want to pray for you. You know, it's an opportunity to come into that relationship with your saviour to accept what he has done for you on the cross so as I'm looking around this morning if there is anybody then just indicate to me and I want to pray for you that you're saying yes Hosanna save me Jesus save me Just give you a moment. Just is there anybody here this morning? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Maybe it's the challenge of we've walked with Jesus and we've seen what's important to him. And he's challenging you in the familiar routes that you walk. If we were to come with you and walk this route with you, you're in your life, your workplace, your college. What would that look like to be responding and listening to the Holy Spirit? Bob Roglian has said that discipleship is learning to follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit by listening for what the Father is saying and doing and what we see the Father doing. We learn this way of life by reading God's written word, listening for God's spoken word and imitating God's living word. We've looked at the ways of Jesus this morning. What are the ways of Jesus that he is speaking and challenging you about? We walk with one another We encourage one another 
in this journey. Lord, I just want to pray for us this morning, God, as we have walked with you, as we've seen what it means to you to take that final journey to Jerusalem. Declaring that you are Savior, declaring that you are King, declaring that your house would be a house of prayer for all nations. Lord, let us carry your word. Let us carry your commission. Let us carry your heart. Lord, let us be your temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit that you made, Lord, when you became that cornerstone. You are the cornerstone. We are brothers and sisters this morning, standing shoulder to shoulder, Lord, of equal worth, Lord, to you equal value to you. Lord, I pray for us that as we go out into our familiar ways, into our workplaces, into our where the places that we walk, Lord, would we see your will in those places? Would we see the outcast welcomed in? Lord, would we see the great commission worked out, Lord, in us and through us? King of kings and Lord of lords, We worship you today. We thank you for what you did. We thank you that we are your temple. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you and we worship you for, Lord, setting your face, for calling it out, for standing out, Lord, in that final journey to the cross. We thank you, Jesus, King of Kings. Save you, God, and we worship you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.